This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Peggy Hodgkins, and today we're talking with Brendan Moore, who is a freshman at the University of Utah pursuing a degree in atmospheric sciences. Brendan was one of the first round of Grand County High School students to participate in Science Moab's School to Science program which pairs Grand County High School students with scientists for mentorship opportunities in the field and in the lab. Brendan had a School to Science internship with Robin Rebold, a biological science technician at the USGS Southwest Biological Science Center at the Canyonlands Research Station, and was supported by ecologist and biogeochemist Dr. Sasha Reed and supervisory biologist Dr. Erica Geiger also of the Canyonlands Research Station. In this high-level internship, Brendan received guidance on how to develop his own research question and experimental method that he would use to investigate. Brendan ultimately chose to study patterns of rock lichen development. You know, I really didn't know what to expect going into it. I thought I would be looking over someone's shoulder in the lab, and I was happy for that. But he asked me, what do I want to do? And I, I was so excited to come up with my own project that was something that I really felt fortunate for that opportunity that wasn't my first experience with science Moab I actually um, had done a couple of job shadows prior to that internship I had um, gone out with some geomorphologists from Utah State University to study the ancient flows of the Colorado River I walked around with them as they took core samples that was one of the best days, you know, of the school year for me. And so that kind of kicked it off the science Moab. And I was always asking Carrie what opportunities were available. And That's so great. landed the inter- internship and, you know, went from there. Your internship, from what I understand, you were able to pick your own research topic. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. The uh, biogeochemistry is kind of a focus at the lab. I knew that I would be in the best hands with something around in that topic. As far as what projects to pick, I basically was brainstorming for a few weeks on what do I want to do out in Moab? What do I want to study? And I came up with all these ideas, you know, I wanted to do desert varnish experiments, dust experiments, spoke with Robin and he was talking about what they do with lichen, soil lichen. And that kind of opened up how little I really knew about lichen. You know, it's something that you see all the time around Moab, just all over the rocks. And I really hadn't given it a second thought. And I thought, well, wait, how great would it be to learn more about lichen? So um, (laughs) it is. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And so you formulated your own kind of research questions and hypothesis and your own basically experimental method of what you wanted to investigate. Can you just describe a bit about what, what you were trying to figure out? Coming up with the experiment was way harder than I thought it would be. What ended up happening was I had a broad question was basically, where do lichen, rock lichen grow best around the desert? I had to come up with a few variables or things that might affect lichen growth. And they, Robin, some of the other scientists were really helpful in helping me think of what would affect lichen growth. 
some things that were pretty key in that were um, rock type angle. So what angle the lichen were growing on and microclimate. I was curious about how relative humidity of a microclimate might affect where lichen might be growing in the desert. So there were so many different things that I could think of that might have an effect on where lichen will be growing. That was a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was mainly thinking about the diversity of lichen. So how many different lichen species were growing in a certain area and how much accumulation those lichen created. In your interview with Dr. Levitt, you kind of brought up how lichen are actually two organisms. And that was something that I had no idea about prior. And so it blew my mind looking into how many different combinations of cyanobacteria and fungi there actual species of lichen there could be so right i had to come up with a system to categorize those lichen so i was looking for diversity as well as accumulation that's an important part thanks for asking that <laughs> so yeah so you're looking for how many different types are there and correct how how much is grown yeah and if you think about that like what if one you know the cyanobacteria or the algae is affected but not the other and so you have very, right. so many different combinations. So you narrowed down your questions. And so how did you go about collecting the data? Narrowing the question down was pretty tricky. Like we kind of had to emit some things that, you know, might not be important to knowing <laughs> why like an accumulate in a certain place. We ended up coming up where do lichen grow best. And I came up with a hypothesis basically saying that lichen grow best on this certain angle. I I think I said about 40 degrees and then on north facing slope. So we were looking at the aspect on which they were growing, the slope angle, and then the type of rock. And so we kind of did a little bit of math to figure out, Robin was helping me like kind of think it through, you know, he's done this so much and so he has so much experience with this we were thinking it was going to be less than 180 sites so we wanted to study navajo sandstone what we brought with us was this pvc grid and then a smaller grid and so to collect data and to know how much accumulation of lichen there are on a certain slope as well as the different types of lichen we used a method called an ocular estimate was basically just saying using these two tools, the grid tools, to see how much lichen inhabited. So one meter squared, and then a smaller uh, 25 by 25 centimeter grid. So we were able to estimate how much lichen inhabit a certain square, and then add all those up. And then that would give us the area of the lichen and percent cover. Right. And so to categorize the different types of lichen, I would create kind of a photo log and kind of name them. So I had a yellow, brown, black, white lichens, and then like a black two, white two, et cetera. Okay. And so I ended up in total having about 13 or so different visual species of lichen. So all these lichen looked the same, had the same texture and look. So I was able to categorize that way and then compile all this data. I was going out to that site to do each aspect and get three different angles within a range of zero to around 90, and then do north, south, east, and west. 
each site took about 30 minutes. So, you know, I was very new to the, the field work side of things. So it took a couple of times to really get good at ocularly estimating and (laughs) doing that type of thing, but it was so So much fun in the field. Neat. Mm -hmm. How long of a period did you go and uh, test these sites? Well, so I had one site and we wanted to do different rock types. So for the Navajo, in theory, each rock type would have 12 different plots for considering each aspect and each um, slope angle. Gotcha. And we wanted to do about four. So that would have been, you know, a lot of site. Yeah. And I only did one. I only did the Navajo rock site. One of my first sites, I believe, was like early June, around uh, June 15th. And then my last site july 6th okay. so about a month and so that was the field work side of things so once i had all the percentage covers of all the different species of lichen how many different species were present in which you know aspects and slope angles all that data was put into graphs and we robin and i were looking at it and then it came time for the lab work and this was something i was really excited to do Oh, neat. Um, yeah. What'd you do in the lab? Robin had me scrape off the lichen, kind of grind it up. I believe this was something uh, Dr. Levitt was talking about as well. Yeah. And we used an elemental analyzer at the USGS lab. I was using that to measure how much nitrogen, carbon, I want to say oxygen as well, that was present in the lichen. To be honest, when Robin had first explained this to me, I wasn't convinced that there would be a huge difference in the chemicals for different species, but it ended up being quite noticeable. And so I was running this machine. I think I came in two or three times a week to run all the samples and the duplicates. And then we could look at the data to see which species had what amount of lichen in it. The data was really cool to see huh um, yeah and the differences could did, did they did they correspond with say differences that you could visually see like color or abundance i mean when you saw the difference in their mm-hmm. chemical makeup yeah like for example the yellow lichen i believe had i believe nitrogen in hey. it um, oh, for example yeah compared to different colors i mean yeah visual versus uh chemical so that's very neat mm-hmm like overall, when you, you know, the questions you set out to, to answer in the beginning, what, what did you find out? Where do you like and grow best, right? Yeah. So um, that was like something that, you know, you could kind of tell you'd go out and do field work and see, you know, there's a lot of lichen on this, on the North Slope. The South Slope was real bare and you could kind of see that. But actually looking at the, the data was basically around 20 degree slope angle range on north facing slopes on this particular outcrop of Navajo sandstone happened to have the most percent cover of lichen so cool yeah so and it's you know you can note if you walk around you would you could tell just by looking at it but that was something I wanted to just you know prove through taken data and yeah exactly yeah and then something else 
you know, you look at all the data and you think like, for example, the lichen I was telling you about the yellow that had all the nitrogen, Robin was explaining to me in his, some of his experiments, he noticed lichens in the soil that had high nitrogen levels in some cases that corresponded with an organism's ability to do what's known as nitrogen fixing, which is when an organism usually, you know, in legumes, they do it where they take nitrogen from the air and then process that. And that goes back into the, the soil and nitrogen is a very, you know, that's something that a lot of plants need to grow. And so that's a very important quality that our cryptobiotic soil has. That's something that it's really helpful for that correlation. You know, maybe if I was to do a secondary experiment on this, for example, this yellow lichen to see if it was nitrogen fixing, you know, maybe I could make correlations why, you know, why certain lichens grow around the specific lichen, because it might be turning nitrogen back into the rock that they used to grow. So there's definitely some things I could go off of that kind of were really cool to see. That was one of my questions is if you did have mm-hmm. the time and the resources, what, you know, what other questions would you try to ask if you, you know, if you had the time? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's definitely something I'd go to first is seeing kind of going more into the biology side of it and seeing, you know, what are some of these characteristics of lichen with certain different chemical makeups and what, what gives them that difference? Yeah. And I'd also love to go off of my original experiment and test different rock types and see, well, how does, say, Cayenta sandstone fare versus Navajo? And are they growing more on Cayenta versus Navajo or Wingate? Looking into that a little more, because that's something that I was originally interested in. You know, if I had more time, I'd love to do that. But yeah, that would be really neat as well. But what were some of the the challenges that you ran into in your research that you weren't expecting or just challenges that made it difficult? It was definitely a challenge just kind of keeping my focus and looking through the different plots to see the, and kind of estimate the accumulation in each square and add that up. And, you know, that really takes kind of a focus that, you know, some, some days I might not have. And, you know, choosing the right classical music to go along with <laughs> looking at the lichen for an hour or so, and then moving to the next plot. That was definitely something I had to learn to get used to. And I feel like I did. And I was pretty proud of myself for finishing up that, that field work. But like all, I'm sure all researchers doing field work in the desert, you know, deal with windy days, maybe oh, yeah. a thunderstorm. That's part of the fun. Definitely finding the sites was a tricky thing because in the beginning, I was looking for sites that had a consistent layer of a certain sandstone that would be accessible on through all different slope angles and that were facing all directions. And that's pretty tricky to find. Navajo was pretty easy to do because, you know, it's big slopey, you know, you're going to find all different angles in there and all different mm-hmm. aspects. Something like Kant is a little tricky. Looking at Google Maps on satellite, you can kind of see that desert towers as you go up through the different sandstone layers will have they all they face all directions and you might be able to find all 
slope angles on a continuous outcrop. So that was something that was pretty time consuming, but I think just being flexible with how your experiment is going to work is a big part, was a big part of the challenge for me. As far as lab work goes, learning how to use the elemental analyzer was, was a learning curve, you know, kind of scraping off the lichen off the rock was pretty tricky, but that's something I got the hang of everything. It was all such a new experience. It was so much fun. That's great. Um, learning how real, you know, field work and lab work actually happen. You're probably using a lot of that experience now as you're going into a, a natural science, you know, atmospheric science, mm -hmm. whatever. And so are you finding that you have, you have a little bit of confidence under your belt in terms of like approaching some of the lab work and things like that? Possibly, you know, I'm a freshman at the moment. There's some general ed classes that I need right. to get out of the way before I jump into any research, but I'm really excited to get back in the lab for my chemistry course next semester. I'm really excited. I hope I can find some opportunities to do some atmospheric field work maybe this summer or down the road. I think a big part of what I was wondering when I was one like ask myself, what are scientists really doing as far as around Moab and natural science work is like, how do they come up with an experiment? And that's mm -hmm. something that I've kind of got the, the opportunity to do was think of questions and kind of narrow it down, get more and more specific. Science Moab's School to Science program provides local students exposure to scientific careers working in partnership with Grand County High School career and technical education. Through School to Science, students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on experience in the field and in the lab. Single-day job shadow, trimester-long internships, or just a field series as part of select science classes. School to Science program is sponsored by the Community Foundation of Utah with support from the Bjorkman Foundation, Rocky Mountain Power Foundation, and the city of Moab. It was, I think it was the highlight of my senior year. I mean, just doing all those different job shadows with so many, you know, different, really smart researchers was, was just the coolest opportunity. I hope some kid reaches out and... <laughs> <laughs> talks to Carrie about an internship. So but I think it's, it's the best thing they could do. Very cool. That would be my advice. Anyone in high school in Moab, talk to Carrie. Yeah, way to go. Well, thanks, Brennan. Well, thank you so much, Peggy. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Newsletter by Luke Williams. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah and your support makes it possible.